Kia ora. I'm your host, Benjamin Coffey, and this is P.I. Psy, a space for us to discuss the mental health of Pacific Islanders. I'll be delving into Polynesian perspectives, topics of identity, current issues, and ways that we as a global Polynesian community can move forward to being a happier, healthier, and stronger people together. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional counseling. We are not experts, nor should mine or my guests' words ever be thought of as speaking for all Pacific Islanders. But I hope you will appreciate the perspectives that each episode brings. This is just a platform for regular Polynesian people of all islands to come together and share our stories. My guest today is Isaiah Mafi. He's a good friend of mine I met while I was in Hawaii. He's very passionate about uh, Polynesian mental health. And it's a pleasure to have him on the show. Welcome, Isaiah. Hello. Thank you. Uh, tell us about yourself. So how do you identify ethnically? Um, that's always been a complicated question uh, because of the dual immigrant status. Uh, but uh, I've always uh, gone a lot with my Tongan ethnicity uh, because mostly it, it shows more than my Mexican side does. Okay, so you're both Tongan and Mexican. Correct. Okay, cool. And where did you grow up? Uh, all over the United States. My dad uh, joined the Air Force shortly after immigrating uh, to the United States. So I was born in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, moved to Texas, moved back to Mississippi, moved to Las Vegas, briefly lived in Washington, and then moved to Colorado Springs, uh, where my dad retired there, and they currently still live there. So many places I grew up. So you've always kind of, your family's been in the States for as long as you've been around, and your dad? Correct. Uh, Yeah, never grew up in Tonga. Uh, but was able to, every summer, um, my dad's whole family, all of his siblings and my grandparents, um, all my cousins, they all live in Utah in various cities and regions. So every summer we would go to Utah and visit them and celebrate with them and have those huge Tongan celebrations that are famous everywhere around because they <laughs> have so many people and they last for days. So That's that's cool that you, know, you had some appreciation for the culture, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I that was one thing I really applaud my dad for doing was uh, while still giving us the lifestyle he dreamed for us. And when he moved to America and had the American dream, he'd, not only doing that, but also uh, making sure that we could recognize the culture that he grew up in and not just recognize it, but learn to appreciate it um, to the point that later in life, both my sister and I decided to move to Hawaii and took it upon ourselves to dive more into the Tongan culture um, on our own free will and volition. So I just really applaud him for doing that. And also my mom as well on, for the Mexican side, uh, having the same principle. Coming to Hawaii was probably like, the I imagine, like the first time you've been around a large group of Polynesians that weren't just your family. Is that So a common topic of conversation between my wife and I, my wife, Makayla, she grew up and was, uh, she was born and raised in, central Utah. Um, and so it was the first time in my entire life that I was not the minority. Um, and it was her first time in her life where she was the minority being in Hawaii. Um, well, uh, I guess with that, um, you know, what, uh, kind of cultural aspects or, you know, things did you kind of come to realize or come to appreciate more as you did jump more into being the majority role or being around other Tongans or Polynesians? So one of the one of the things that I always recognized growing up and then got to experience in such a, a more um, 
a more broadband experience was uh, the, the Tongan culture and all the Polynesian cultures really. Um, family is so incredibly central to their way of living in ways that is not typical for American culture. Um, the family is before you anything, but uh, I mean, nothing comes before family. Um, and so getting to experience that, I mean, within my family, it was relevant, but it's between my parents and my siblings and I, uh, but going to Utah, we felt it was a little different because, um, uncles and aunties would drive like an hour to go pick you up or like, Oh, I heard you really want little Caesars at three in the morning. Like I'm super tired, but I I know you really want it. So let's go. Then going to Hawaii and everyone just has that same kind of mindset. Um, it was, it was such an amazing experience to have that and really helped me to appreciate the Tongan culture even more. Um, and the Polynesian culture at that, um, because, uh, something that I really appreciate is that all of Polynesia, um, this generation is really just focusing on, let's not separate ourselves by the islands. Let's focus on the fact that we are all part of Polynesia. We are all part of a uh, one big family that is, um, part of the, the Pacific, the oceanic community. Uh, and so getting to experience that and making great friends with other Samoans and Maori and Fijians and Tahitians and all, um, just getting that opportunity really uh, helped me to solidify that uh, sense of belonging and camaraderie. No, yeah, absolutely. I can imagine that'd be a, a lot more distinct for someone that grew up as a very much a minority population with not a lot of other Polynesians around kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, it's absolutely something that I, I think I've come to see as well, where there's a lot more appreciation for uh, the need for Polynesians to come together and, you know, work together mm -hmm. and work with each other rather than, you know, standing by uh, any animosity or rivalry between the islands or anything like that. I mean, historically, yeah. like Samoa and Tonga have had centuries yep. of war kind of thing and rivalry but you know at the same time it's not something that's like you know there's an embitterment between the two it's between yeah you know it's it's funny you bring up the two Samoan Tonga so in high school I was the only Tongan or only Polynesian until my senior year when my sister was a freshman and a Samoan family moved in to the air force they her dad got transferred so there was a Samoan girl in my AP government class and instantly we just clicked and we sat together we would uh, work on everything together. If we could ever choose partners, uh, we would always work together. Um, and she, yeah, she's Samoan. So there's absolutely no relation whatsoever. Her dad is from Samoa. My dad is from Tonga. Um, my grandparents' generation, they still have beef between each other. <laughs> right. If it ever comes to happen that one of my cousins was dating a Samoan uh, boy or girl, uh, the rule was don't tell grandma because she, she won't like that. <laughs> But just having that uh, that kind of uh, friend, uh, someone that really understood because, I mean, Mexican people, there weren't too many Mexicans in uh, the location of Colorado that I went to high school in. And so, I mean, there was a couple there and we were always good friends. But finally finding another Polynesian person, it was like I, I found a super like pot of gold. Um and it was, it was so, we actually, so it was in the AP government class and our teacher one time asked us, he was just looking around and he said, like, you guys are of the same ethnicity group, right? And we said, yeah. And he said, oh, what is it? Like, I, I honestly don't know. 
And we laughed. We said Polynesian. He said, oh, like the war. And it took us a bit. He was thinking about the Polynesian War and just completely misplaced it in his mind. So we had to go and tell him, yeah, not Polynesian, Polynesian. Uh, and then I went to explain the, the Polynesian Triangle and all the islands and everything. But it was that it was such a it was a much better experience because there was somebody there to help me have that teaching experience for someone who's our teacher. So it was it was a cool time. So actually, that's a good intro into my next section. Um, a lot of people, if they don't really know about Polynesia or they just know the kind of basic stuff, they kind of see us all as kind of a almost monolithic group. Like, okay, Samoans, Tongans, yeah. Maori, Fijians, they're all kind of the same. Um, so what uh, can you uh, kind of give me a, like a summary uh, proverb or common idea within Tonga that kind of really summarizes the Tongan uh, mindset or experience? Um, so there's actually the, what they call it the four pillars of Tongan society. Um, and so in English, they're respect, humility, maintaining good relationship and loyalty. In Tongan, they would be faka apa apa, lototo, tauhiva, and mamahi'i mea. And so, uh, yeah, the four pillars of a Tongan society. So you live by them, respect, humility, maintaining good relationship and loyalty. And uh, a typical Tongan in the islands learns these values and learns how to uphold them through their duties and actions performed towards uh, what's called and what's referred to and called the fahu of the family, which is uh, the oldest sister of your father. And she's the fahu and the fahu is in charge of everything. She makes decisions. She she gets final say. She names all of her nieces and nephews. Um, and so a person will experience uh, respect. You respect the Fahu above anyone else. Whatever she says goes. If she asks you to run down the street to go pick her up some mangoes, you do that and you don't ask why. You don't pout. You don't stop your feet on the way out because then you're going to get slapped on your way out too. Right. And so that's really distinct from, I mean, Western culture in particular. I mean, but even within Polynesian culture, you know, there's certainly respect for women, but yeah, that's very distinct. The almost matriarchal. Yeah, and so and and the hierarchy goes. You know, you have the kids. Then there's the father and mother. One is not above the other. Um, the father and mother, and then the fahu above that. And so I mean, in and in the United States, if dad says no, you go ask mom. If dad says no, you go ask the fahu. And if she says yes, then you get to do whatever you want. See, that's absolutely incredible. You think about like, you know, if almost any other society, you think about like, okay, mom and dad are in charge, but really it's the the oldest daughter that has the final say in basically everything for the family. Which is, I mean, it's so different. Um, and I didn't even realize that my dad also was teaching us, you know, these four pillars, respect, humility, maintain good relationship and loyalty. He was teaching these to us uh, with my aunt without even us realizing it. We're, we grew up just recognizing that, oh, Auntie Kasai, whatever she says, if we're in Utah, if she wants you to do something, you do it. You don't pout. You don't, uh, you don't throw a big old fit about it. You just do it. And then you don't have to worry about it when you're done. So you uh, you mentioned you know you have a younger sister yourself. Do you see her being yeah. the fahu in your family? Oh man, she loves the idea of her being the fahu. <laughs> <laughs> she 
She absolutely loves it. Um, and she has sometimes she'll lose her mind a little bit and she'll tell me, I'm the Fahu, I get to name your kids. And I'll remind her like, hey, my wife isn't Tongan, so it doesn't apply to her. And she'll be like, oh, yeah, that that fine, that you're right, whatever. And she'll have a good time. But my my brother did name his daughter after my sister. Uh, so she she couldn't have had it any other way. So it worked out really well for her in that part. So uh, I guess um, with that, uh, how do you see mental health within the Polynesian community? That is such an interesting question because the simple fact of it is mental health is not supported as much as and the and mental health is not supported. I know for sure in the Tongan and uh, the Tongan culture, I can't tell you for sure in the other Polynesians, but it's not supported in the Tongan culture as much as it is in Westernized culture. Um, and I think it comes from the the lifestyle of living in Tonga is it's it's life in the slow lane. I mean, you know, everything is communal. Uh, it's a it's a matter of fact life. You you live life and you just accept the things that happen. Um, you don't sit there and you, uh, being sad about something for more than five minutes isn't really a Tongan thing to do. It's not part of that culture or society. Um, and I think that comes from that humility pillar that well, one of those four, uh, their their idea of humility is not just living below what you, living below your means. Um, it's also reacting or um, your actions below what would be justified in a separate culture, especially in Westernized culture. I I 100% believe that mental health should uh, be as important in Tongan culture as it is in Western culture because uh, just because you're born in a different part of the world doesn't mean you are immune to uh, depression or anxiety or any other very crippling uh, versions of uh, mental mental health or mental issues such as you know schizophrenia you, obviously anyone in the world can be born with schizophrenia just because you were born in Tonga doesn't mean you're not going to have it and a, if you have schizophrenia in Tonga you still are going to need a license uh, you're going to need professional help yeah, it's exactly something that you're just gonna get over uh, it or anything like that right so actually how did you get into mental health how did you get interested in mental health um, you know, I took a psychology class in high school and fell in love with the idea of psychology. Um, it wasn't until the suicide of my older brother back in 2018 that I really dove into mental health and um, the idea of it, and especially mental health in the Polynesian culture, specifically Tongan and Mexican cultures, actually, that I really started to dive into um, the idea of mental health rather than just broadband psychology. Um, and having it ported towards that and just the fact that it is so uh, minuscule. It, it's so incredibly hard to find research, to find um, backed psychological journals of, of mental health, of suicidality in Tongan culture. Um, and then the little research that there is uh, after, you know, months of research, the, all I could find was stuff from before the 21st century. So it's it's difficult to see, um, but it is like that light at the end of the tunnel. It is the, I can I can be the person or I can help to be the person that brings it to fruition in, in you know, this century, these days, this generation. 
No, yeah, I can uh, certainly attest to that research on Polynesian mental health is gravely lacking, particularly within the islands. Um, I had an opportunity to look at some of the older papers you mentioned, um, one of them titled Mental Disease in a Tongan General Practice, um, and it was focused on uh, uh, somatization, um, which is the persistent experience of pain uh, despite no observable physical ailment, uh, so nothing beyond psychological. So for this uh, paper, researchers looked into the frequency of psychiatric diagnosis among patients who visited uh, this physician's practice. Um, so of all those who were given a psychiatric diagnosis, mostly to do with depression or anxiety, all but one presented with somatization or physical symptoms. It also talked about how Tongan people simply bypassed clinics and only visited physicians at the hospital emergency wards, which leads me to think that perhaps they tend to ignore whatever pain they feel until it becomes an, uh, becomes an emergency. They go on to discuss how doctors and physicians in Tonga aren't trained to deal with these issues adequately, and so what could be appropriately dealt with with counseling is instead medicated. Um, but based on my own observations of mental health research in Polynesians, it seems to fall right in line with the notion that Polynesians just don't seek out help. But I think your uh, mention of the four pillars of Tongan society really highlights the act of almost teaching against seeking out help and you know not making yourself um, a burden almost on others. So, and then beyond that, I thought it was amazing that in this research is actually conducted in Tonga. Like I couldn't believe you're able to find a mental health related article in Tonga. In exactly. As I was uh, reading through this article again, to kind of refresh, I remember I actually found it at like three in the morning after an all night stint of looking for something to base uh, my, my research on. This was the first article that I found that really was like, a, Oh my gosh, it, it, it's possible. Um, and just the kind of research it presents, uh, this and, uh, there was another one that was focused on, uh, suicide. Uh, there was a rise in suicides in Tonga, uh, back in, uh, the article was written in 1997, 1997. Um, and those two, it, it, I mean, if you read through them, the big problem is they have all this, they have some research, they have some findings, but there's so many holes in it. Um, for the one you just mentioned where they are, uh, look as a uh, summation is a common way for mental health disease to be present and whatnot. Um, a lot of the research, you know, they don't know the gender of the person that had died or they don't know the age or something, you know, simple things that you think should be documented and it just isn't. Um, and that, I mean, that's one of the downsides of working to find, uh, this kind of information of a third world country. But, you know, it just really uh, shows the, the need for it, the need for a very intense and documented research that will prove the fact that, uh, you know, just because you are a doctor that's going to Tonga doesn't mean you should go straight into a hospital to do generalized studies, which is one of the problems that it's brought up in uh, the article that every doctor that goes to Tonga, they send them to a hospital to do take care of physical needs, which is good and all. But, I mean, mental needs are just as prevalent, if not even more, uh, within the last couple of years that we've seen more and more people are being diagnosed with depression and with anxiety. Um, and having something as simple as a, an island therapist, which, you know, you don't think about. 
but Tonga is made up of over 150 different islands. Having one therapist for island would help vastly. Right. So I guess that's kind of one thing that the article kind of touches into where, you know, the, uh, the physician kind of culture, like, you know, people going to doctor kind of culture within Tonga is focused around hospitals. They don't, uh, Tongan people don't really go to clinics. They just go straight to the hospital. Um, and so yeah. that's kind of one of the things is yeah. like the culture, even if there is clinics on the islands, they'll just kind of bypass them and go straight to the hospital. Um, and so, yeah. you know, that's kind of one of the things I think, you know, is manifest with the lack of interest or the lack of uh, desire in seeking out mental health is like, okay, well, I'm not going to go to this individual. I'm just going to go to the formal, uh, you know, pharma- uh, pharmacological kind of approach and just head to the hospital. Maybe they can give me something for the pain or something like that. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think that a lot of that has to do with just, uh, I mean, a lack of education on the fact um, when you grow up on an island, you know, a lot of the people in Tonga, uh, they start to go to school, but oftentimes they have to stop going to school because they got to start working so they can help mom and dad or not mom and dad help dad support the family. Uh, because in the Tongan culture, mom stays home to cook and clean and take care of the kids. And so if dad isn't making enough money, the first to get out of school is the oldest child. And if he's only in fourth grade, I mean, you got to do what you got to do to survive. And so just a lack of education, I think, is something that kind of attributes to that as well. If you feel bad, go to the hospital, get some medicine and take it and feel better. That's that's the simple fixes because, I mean, when you grow up and it's life or death, whether you go to work or not, you're going to go to work whether you're feeling sad or feeling anxious about it or not. Right. No, you just you simply don't have a choice um, if it comes down to working so that your family survives or, you know, taking some time off to sort out your mental health. It's just, you ultimately, you're just going to give you the fastest, easiest fix to get back to work or get back to, you know, meeting your responsibilities. And so I guess that I really feel like that probably feeds into the other, you know, uh, article that we're looking at regarding suicide. Uh, The article discusses how among the more westernized parts of the country, like that's where they saw the greatest incidence of suicide. Yeah, so it, I mean, it's incredible to think that throughout f- a 15 year period, 1982 to 1987, there were only 43 suicides in all of Tonga. But the problem is that's documented. Um, and so those small islands, like I said, there's so many islands that make up Tonga. If there's suicides, odds are they don't get to get documented. But it is incredible to realize that it says that the majority of the cases were in the more westernized urban center of the main island of Tongatapu. Um, and specifically even more uh, like the main city of Nuku'alofa, which is actually where the king lives. That is the most advanced part of the, the whole kingdom is, I mean, centered around the, the king's palace. So yeah, it's it's crazy to think that even then, uh, the the westernized part is the part that has the western problems. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing. It's mental health and suicidality. It is seen as kind of a Western problem um, within Polynesian communities, I feel like. Or it's like we don't acknowledge that, you know, depression or anxiety is, for the most part, a real thing. It's like, okay, that's something that affects white people. Yeah. I mean, that's the mindset that happens. Oh, like that guy's just sad. I mean, like I mentioned with the suicide of my brother, my mom has still, she still goes to therapy every week. And this is uh, 
two and a half years past that. Yeah, two and a half years that it's been. Um, but my dad has not been to one meeting with any sort of therapist since then. So just seeing the incredible cultural difference between even just my two parents, uh, really just seeing my dad represent his culture in that aspect, uh, really just kind of fuels my own desire to help some sort of change happen. No, yeah, there's a lot of stigma attached to, you know, seeking out help. I feel like a lot of it comes down to like, you know, there's, it would be almost a sign of weakness, um, at least within Maori culture to see. Yeah, exactly. You find that as well. Tongan. It's it's the same in Tongan culture. You're less of a man if you, if you recognize that you might have some sort of depression or some sort of anxiety. One thing I wanted to just last touch on with you. So, you know, we talked about a few things that, you know, our cultural traditions versus, you know, uh, westernization and how that can affect suicidality. But there's also a lot of stigma associated with mental health and mental health services. Uh, what do you think would be uh, perhaps research that you'd like to see done or uh, anything that you find would be uh, interesting from maybe a public policy perspective? Or what, Well, what like I mentioned already, I've, first and foremost, just getting that sort of education out there that uh, not all problems are physical or can be fixed at a hospital. And uh, as we were just saying, you know, helping the Tongan culture to recognize that you are not less of a man or less of a woman for having depression or having anxiety or wanting to seek help for that. Um, and I think the, I think just a simple combination of those two, I, we're already looking and seeing how much it's changing um, recently in Western culture and I'd, even all across um, different countries. I think helping that to reach those third world countries and those islands that are just a little bit less developed uh, is really just going to do so much. I mean, as of now, the Tongan population is only over just about 100,000. Um, having, you know, programs, and like I mentioned, it's it's just over 150 islands. If you get one person on each of those islands who is uh, at least half of an expert, I mean, you're already going to help them to change bounds and bounds and just help them to learn and recognize um, and so I think the main thing is just presenting that type of education and presenting that type of change and um, helping it to become accepted. Sure. Yeah. Just give a, provide a little bit of expertise and a little bit of uh, normalcy to the fact that, you know, these kind of things happen. Well, thank you very much for your time, Isaiah. You have been a fantastic guest. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much. And a special thank you for you listening at home or in the car, wherever you are, to the issues facing Tongan and Tongan Americans. As we say in Māori, kā ki te ano, au yakwe. I'll see you again soon.